Welcome to Mind Matters News. Uh, this is Dr. Michael Egner. Uh, I have the uh, pleasure and privilege of interviewing uh, Dr. Joshua Ferris, who is a professor of theology uh, of science at uh, Missional University. And this is our third segment. Uh, welcome, Joshua, and thank you for joining us. Thanks. Good to be with you. I wanted to talk just a little bit about um, philosophy of science and its relation to theology. First question is, uh, is a belief in God compatible with the practice of science? Yes, absolutely. It seems like a silly question, but it's actually a pretty hot question nowadays, and, uh, uh, which is, seems to be kind of crazy, but okay. So uh, uh, why would uh, anyone claim that you couldn't believe in God and be a good scientist? So why, why do people believe that there's a conflict between science and uh, religion? Yeah, well, I think I think there's some converging uh, influences uh, in the history of science that we could look at. You might know better than this uh, than me, but um, uh, there is certainly um, a sort of um, prevailing sort of common idea that that science proceeds and has proceeded without sort of God in the picture. Uh, and, and sort of explanatory picture of, of, of natural events that we observe and we try to make sense of that God really has supplied no uh, relevant answers to. Certainly when we, uh, hearkening back to some of our discussions about the nature of consciousness and personal identity, uh, th there seems to be a common sort of idea that, uh, uh, that scientists affirm something like uh, the elimination of, say, uh, the free willing self. I was reading a couple of weeks ago um, this book by a set of popular scientists that are out there called um, Ideas That We Must Dispel Ourselves Of. I think that's the title of the book. Have you heard of that book before? Uh, no, I haven't, but it, it sounds like the kind of book they, they would write. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, yeah, there's so there's this common idea that uh, that uh, some sort of when we proceed uh, utilizing the method of methodological naturalism, uh, as methodological naturalism is often taken to be just science. It just is science, and um, science proceeds in a way that uh, that has no need for ghosts, angels, or eerie spirits or uh, God. We have no need for that. In fact, uh, we have no need for consciousness itself. So you have people like uh, the uh, psychologist Bruce Hood who are operating out of this sort of framework who, who, uh, who sort of make these, these sort of wild claims. They sort of, uh, well, we're forced to re-examine the factors that are truly behind our thoughts and behavior and the way they interact, balance, override, and cancel out. And... Um, so he goes on to suggest that we no longer need any sort of idea of this sort of free-willing self. Uh, instead, we need to re-examine what's behind our thoughts and behavior because science doesn't give us a free-willing self or a conscious self. There is no more need for that. The, the, the odd thing, if you think about it, why, why would anyone try to convince other people that there is no free will? Because if there is no free will, then other people aren't free to choose to agree or disagree. I mean, it, it kind of just the, the 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 whole process of discourse presupposes the op the, the the option of choosing. And if everything's guided simply by physical interactions, 
that were all just reflex preparations anyway, and why bother? <laughs> just, just amazes me. What's the point of persuading us otherwise with reasons that we can adjudicate? Right. How can you be persuaded if you don't have free will anyway? That's right. Why would you try to persuade me of that? Right. The other thing is that, that the, the philosophers and scientists who, who argue that the notion of God is sort of superfluous to, uh, in, in spirits and things like that, are, is superfluous to science, are the same people who propose that an, an uncountable number of universes exist within the multiverse. And of course, they invoke that to to try to uh, defend a naturalistic understanding of uh, you know, the fine tuning of the universe and so on. Uh, so they'll, they'll posit the existence of, of uncountable other universes. That's not too strange. But the idea that there might be a god is crazy and just uh, off the plate. Yes. Oof. Yeah, it's baffling. Yeah. 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 Unless you, one just presumes that they just they just don't want to face up. To God, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, if if you want to get if you want to get rid of uh, of God, uh, you know that that's the way to do it. You just stipulate that he that he doesn't exist and that you can't do science without him, and then you make up all sorts of crazy stuff and call it science. Yeah, there do there do seem to be some moral motivations behind the scene. I mean, uh, in that same book, this uh, ecologist, have you heard Jerry Coiney? Is, is that his name, Jerry Coyne at the University of Chicago? Uh, yeah, yeah, Jerry, uh, Jerry Coyne, yeah. Yep. Coyne at the University of Chicago. Right, right. I mean, he makes claims like this. The same book, This Idea Must Die, he states, quote, the illusion of agency is so powerful that even strong incompatibilists like myself will always act as if we had choices, even though we know we don't. We have no choice in the matter, end quote. <laughs> the funny thing is that the exact opposite is true. Right. They do have choices, and they pretend that they don't. Uh, I've, I've, I've interacted with Coin quite a bit. Uh, we go back and forth on blog debates. And um, he's quite hilarious, meaning he, um, he actually he, he put up a post on his blog a couple of years ago showing, um, I think it was a dented fender on his car. Uh, you know, somebody in a faculty parking lot had bumped into his car and then drove off. And how, you know, in fact, somebody did that to his car and didn't own up to it. And um, I pointed back and said, well, if, if the guy had no free will, how can you blame him? Right. I mean, if, if it was a meat robot, there's, there, there's no blame. There, there's no accountability. You know, it's, it's no, no more than that than if, than if the wind knocks over a, a tree branch. It's just, it just happened, you know? That's right, yeah. Why would you be so upset about it? Right, 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 right. There, there, there's no such thing as culpability. Right. I mean, there's, it just stuff happens, you know. And, uh, the the other problem with that viewpoint and the, the denial of free will is a, is an extraordinarily dangerous idea. I actually think it's among the most dangerous ideas put forth by by a materialist who put forth a lot of dangerous ideas. Um, and the reason is that. The denial of free will is is the core of of totalitarianism. Uh, that is that um, totalitarianism entails reducing human beings to to livestock and then to herding them and culling them as you see fit. You know, Hitler didn't gas six million Jews because they were individually culpable of doing anything. Right there, there were no trials. They weren't convicted of any crimes. They were basically treated just like you know livestock that you wanted to get rid of. And if there is no free will, it's true that there is no guilt. 
but there's also no innocence. Mm-hmm. That is, that if there's no free free will, then the, the purpose of law enforcement, the purpose of the criminal justice system, would then be just to to stop crime. And if you want to stop crime, you can do it very efficiently by just imprisoning people who might commit crimes. Why why wait to prove their guilt? Uh, it's much more efficient. There was a film about that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. What was that? Pre crimes and right, right. I, I'm, I'm, it was Tom Cruise. Uh, yeah, Tom Cruise. Minority Report? Exactly. Yes. Yeah, that's it. Uh, and if there is no free will, then everything leads to that. You know, why, why, why waste your time waiting until somebody commits a crime? I mean, if no, one's, mm-hmm. if, if, if no one is guilty, then no one is innocent. Why not put them away or put them out of misery yeah. early on, right? Precisely. No. So that we don't have to deal with it. Yes. Yes, right. Nobody puts, uh, nobody puts a uh, coyote raiding their chicken coop on trial. They just shoot it, uh, and uh, because coyotes don't have free will, coyotes just do what they do. Uh, so yeah, so it's it's deadly stuff. It's a deadly idea, uh, and I, I, we don't realize how how bad it is. It's not just an academic question. Yes. Here's here's a question: Can you demonstrate God's existence scientifically? Yeah. So um, I, I guess it it really goes back to a more fundamental question about what we mean by science and what science is, and I. I mean, so there's different answers, uh, obviously, to that question. And uh, can we use the, and there's obviously different positions in church history on this about, can we use nature itself and can we derive certain information from nature itself to demonstrate the the existence of God? And uh, there's excellent work in natural theology being done today by uh, philosophers who, who have um, made uh, pretty valiant attempts to uh, develop arguments that um, uh, move in the direction of, of demonstrating God's existence and uh, utilizing nature as a sort of independent source that we can derive our premises from and, and develop um, logically airtight arguments that demonstrate God's existence. And I'm sympathetic to those proposals. And, and um, I think um I guess the way that I approach natural theology is more of a, um, along the lines of a sort of, I think it's better to sort of approach it as this kind of logic of discovery from a vantage point of, that already has a pre-commitment to theism, and in my case, particularly Christian theism, that has a particular lens on on the world that uh, does a better job of explaining certain things in the world. Ultimately, um, theism provides a better causal explanation for of say consciousness and the implications following from consciousness as we were just discussing it seems to me that the the various properties and powers that follow from consciousness uh, lend themselves to um, all sorts of theistic implications and this is why uh, many scientists uh, who are, have, have sort of developed certain habits want to get away from those consequences and so they they have to effectively eliminate the conscious self uh, the free willing self in order to avoid those implications to theism. Yeah, so I think um, there's a robust tradition of sort of looking out into the world and reflecting on God's existence in nature. Uh, The famous passage, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. And I think there's something important about um, having a sort of attitudinal stance or an approach to nature that... uh, comes with this sort of particular lens in surmising the uh, data from nature and seeing what it what it teaches us 
from a um, perspective of wisdom, our, our sort of location as, as human beings who are created in the image of God and uh, recognizing that this is his handiwork and sort of approaching it in that way. So that's, I guess, the, 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 the manner in which I'm inclined to uh, approach natural theology. I've argued on Ian Me and My Matters that I think the, the definition of science that I like and that I think works the best comes from um, really from, from the classical philosophers, and that is that uh, science is the systematic study of uh, effects according to their causes. And uh, so it, it kind of has three characteristics. It's, it's systematic, so it's not just hunches and occasionally doing stuff, but actually sit, sitting down and studying it. Um, it's a study of, of, of effects, uh, of things in nature as they are, and the study is focused on the causes of those effects. And uh, natural science, which is, oh, and that's scientia, that's, that's, that's science understood most broadly, which would include theology, which would include uh, ethics and, and music and all sorts of things. And natural science uh, would be the systematic study of natural effects according to their causes. And uh, I think that works, especially if one only modifies effects by natural, but not causes by natural. That is that there are effects in nature that have uh, extra natural causes. Uh, obviously, the Big Bang. Big Bang was the beginning of nature. So whatever caused the Big Bang was outside of nature. Uh, I think that uh, singularities uh, at the core of black holes are uh, extra natural things. They're, they aren't defined in physics. They're, they're outside of physics. But they would still be within the domain of science, according to your definition? Yes, yes. Oh, well, yeah, of course. Yeah, Because they, singularities are solutions to uh, the field equations of relativity that blow up, that basically go to infinity because something is divided by zero. That is, that when you, if, if you actually do, do the equations, the number becomes infinitely large, and that, that's a singularity. And mathematically, that's not defined. That is, division by zero is not considered a, a defined function in mathematics. And so singularities within physics aren't defined. Their effects are defined. That is, they, they give rise to black holes. And, it probably gave, and probably a singularity gave rise to, to the Big Bang. So we can know a singularity by its effects, but we can't know what it is because it's not defined. If you look at the classical ways of knowing God, there are three three ways that that God can can be known. We we can't know Him in Himself uh, as He actually is, at least not in this life. But we can know Him by what He is not. We can know Him by His effects in the world, and we can know Him by analogy. Uh, which is St. Thomas. That's very Thomistic of you. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, that's a classic St. <laughs> Thomas. But, but he got a lot from, from Boethius. I mean, he, he got a lot from a lot of people. Uh, but yes, yes. And, I, and, and, I, and the interesting thing is that if you look at the way science handles singularities, it's the same three. It knows singularities by what they are not. You know, they, they don't have dimensions. They, they don't have uh, temperature or color or things like that. They're known by their effects in, in the world. They give rise to the Big Bang. They're, they're at the core of black holes. Uh, and they, we can know them by analogy. Uh, singularities are often depicted as um, 
depressions in it, like a stretch, a stretched rubber membrane. If there's rubber membrane in space-time, the singularity is, a, is an infinitely deep depression in that membrane. So science deals with singularities just the same way as St. Thomas said we had to deal with God. Now, that's not to say that singularity is a God, but what it's saying is that science can deal with things outside of nature and does all, all the time. In fact, numbers are outside of nature. You know, the, the number four is not a natural thing. You know, there, there are f- groups of four things in nature, the four trees in my front yard, blah, 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 four, four, four tires on a car. But the number four is not a thing in nature. It has no location. It has no weight. It has no, you know, it, it's, not a, it's not a natural thing. But it's invoked in science constantly. So there's all kinds of things in science that are not themselves natural causes. So yeah, I think the supernatural can cause things in nature. It does it does all the time, if if we define things that are undefined in the natural world as supernatural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's a very classical way of approaching. Yeah. 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 That's good. Okay. No, I appreciate that. So that wouldn't fit very well within the confines of what most are considering um, methodological naturalism. Yeah. Um, methodological naturalism is. Um, bad science. It's ideological science. It, it's it's saying that no matter what the cause of something is, we're going to exclude anything that's not a natural cause, which which is junk science. I mean, that's basically saying we don't care what the real cause is. We're going to impose the structure on it, knowing that that could very well lead to causes that aren't real. As I said, the, the, the definition of science is the systematic study of, of natural effects according to causes any cause, whether it's natural or, or supernatural, I think is is the best definition of science. If a supernatural cause is the cause, then, then you go for it. Yeah, yeah. So we're, yeah, on your definition, we're basically studying causes and effects. Uh-huh. Right. And, and some are natural, some are natural and some are supernatural. Right, um, right. The study of revelation or the uh, theological study of revelation on that definition would be considered science as well. Yeah, and the, the classical philosophers did consider that. I mean, theology was the queen, was right. the queen of the sciences. And the, the only thing that distinguishes science as we know it today is just that it's the study of natural effects. We, res- we restrict our study to effects in nature, uh, and that's what natural science is. But we don't restrict our study of causes of those natural effects to nature. The causes can be anything, wherever the evidence leads. Right, right, right. So, so as a practicing scientist, do you, do you think that um, there is a, still today, at least in the academic practice of science, is there any place or at least any robust place for theology to enter into the scientific discussions? Theology is in all scientific discussions, everything. It's everywhere. Uh, either acknowledged or or denied, you know, mean, meaning that uh, a very a very good example of this. Um, I am of the very uh, firmly held opinion that um, all proofs of God's existence, all of them, are um, scientific proofs. Uh, that is that that the, the notion that you know science can't prove God, and, and many 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 theists you know say, well, you know, science can't really prove God, but you know, all genuine proofs of the existence of God, proof meaning inferential lines of reasoning, are scientific proofs. Uh, the reason is that uh, in St. Thomas's view, and I, I, I think he's right on this, 
existence is absolutely distinct from essence. Uh, so the fact that something exists, uh, that, that uh, what is different from that, basically, that something exists is a different thing than what that something is. And um, therefore, you can't demonstrate the existence of anything, the thatness of anything, by just describing the whatness of it, which means, for example, that the, on, the ontological proof is not valid. And St. Thomas famously rejected that proof. Uh, because right. there's no existence in it. There's no evidence. It's it, it, it's a formal logical proof. And formal logical proofs cannot prove anything outside of formal logical things. And God is not a formal logical thing. He's an existing thing. So you have to have evidence to prove the existence of anything. So to, to prove existence at the end, you have to start with the existence of something. And that's inductive proof. When you start with evidence and then use uh, some formal system to arrive at inference to best explanation, that's an inductive line of reasoning. And science is just inductive reasoning applied to nature. So the, the proofs of God's existence are also inductive proofs, and they have the same structure as scientific proofs. A very good example is the prime mover argument. Uh, the prime mover argument, basically, is that change exists in nature. And that it is not possible to have an infinite regress of of instrumental causes in a in a system of, of change without having at the um, at the foundation of this instrumental series of causes uh, an unmoved mover, a prime mover uh, that is not itself moved. That's a scientific argument because you start with the the empirical observation of change in nature. And you reason through a formal way to what must be true of the cause of that change. That's the same thing as is done in, in evolutionary biology, looking at nature, reasoning back to what causes the change in species. Same thing that's done in physics, what causes this uh, radioactive isotope to, to emit that uh, electron. So all I believe all valid proofs of God's existence are scientific theories. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense from what, yeah, from the way you're de- describing science. Yeah. So when you when you say, you know, is it can, can science be done without theology? Um, at least if one is talking about natural theology, science and natural theology are 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 completely intertwined. Yeah. So it seems like an obvious question, I guess. As a as a theologian, and um, this is something that I. I I, and we don't have time, but someday I'd love to chat more about and, and um, to see how we can develop fruitful research programs to integrate the two a bit more consciously and explicitly in print. Um, it, so the question seems obvious, but I just don't see a lot of uh, robust theological and scientific engagement taking place right now and how it is that theology can actually offer any sort of voice in the, the contemporary scientific conversations or how it is that the scientific practitioner can consciously bring God into the mix and, and, uh, and supply a sort of logic that gives us a fruitful way of discerning where God is acting in the present world right now. It, it's hard for me to see that actually taking place where um, theology has largely been marginalized in the higher ed systems, in the, at least in the U.S., um, as almost, well, it's just, it's just almost irrelevant these days. 
um, and is certainly irrelevant in scientific discussions. Well, it's irrelevant, but it even goes further. Um, if you are a, a practicing scientist and you bring theology into your science, you're unemployed. That's it. Uh, I, I, have a, I have a friend who's a leading biologist who is a devout Christian. And I talked to him one time about intelligent design and all of that. And he said he, he would give anything to be involved in it because he really believes in it. He said, but if I ever said a word publicly, I would never get another grant. Right. And he's exactly right. He, he would be totally canceled. Um, so in, in that sense, theology is already in science in a, in a negative sense. That if you if you make any appeal to God, you're you're done, you're done. That's an interesting way to put it. Yeah, it's so there, there's no separating theology and science. I mean, uh, if if you look at, for example, even Aquinas's five ways, that the first way by change, the second way by causation, the third by contingent existence, the fourth by degrees of perfection, and the fifth by regularity in nature, all of them, all of them. Are scientific statements every single one that change how do you account for change there has to be an unmoved mover that's a scientific line of reasoning there's change is observed is observed in the world when you analyze it very carefully you realize that there has to be something that does not change that begins it cause causes exist there has to be an uncaused cause that begins the chain of causes uh, there has to be a necessary existence to account for things that exist there has to be an ultimately perfect thing to account for degrees of perfection, and there has to be an intelligent designer to account for regularity in nature. That's all scientific. Every single one of those things is, is a perfectly reasonable, valid inference in the natural sciences. And every single one of them is explicitly uh, excluded in uh, the way science is practiced nowadays. And if you bring them up, you lose your job. Right, right, so, uh, right. Uh, and punishing people for bringing them up, in a sense, is theology and science. Only it's <laughs> negative theology. It's that if you bring it up, if you bring theology up, up in science, you're fired. But that is theology and science. It's just used as a as a cudgel instead instead of as as an aid. Right. Yeah, and that's why. Well, so it is difficult right now to 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 articulate in in our contemporary situation how it is that theology can be the queen of the sciences um, if it's not if it's not functioning in any sort of robust way in how science is conducted and how the conclusions are interpreted well it depends on how you define theology if you define theology as including the um, philosophical and methodological exclusion of inference to god from scientific work which I think that, that that is a theological statement, and it's, that's a, you know theology can be negative. Uh, if you define theology as including that, then all science nowadays is theological, in a sense that you better not talk about God. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So there, I, there's no escaping it. You know, just just as there's no escaping God, uh, there's no escaping inference to God. Uh, you can choose to to refer to God in your work, or you can choose to refuse to refer to God and to punish people who do. But it's all theology. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Um, that's a very sort of Thomistic way of thinking. I mean, so there are classical Reformed ways of thinking about science and theology that's different. I mean, that depart from Thomas. Uh, I mean, so you have um, 
Herman Duryard, uh, the systematic theologian, who would say that theology is one science among other sciences, and philosophy serves the foundational role, and um, philosophy is foundational to all the sciences. So there's some sort of um, demarcating role that's given to philosophy as, as uh, a way of, of demarcating the different disciplines and how we uh, parse out the different disciplines and their various, uh, the information that it gives. Here's, here, here's a good sort of, I think, retort to that, the, the notion that philosophy is the foundation of sciences rather than theology. Uh, and that is that um, without theology, there is no real ground for believing in the existence of anything outside of your mind, in, in the validity of, of your concepts and the validity of your perceptions. I mean, you can, solecism is, makes just as much sense from a, from a purely philosophical perspective as does the, the ordinary way of looking at the world. I mean, how, how do you know that, that, I'm, that, that I really exist, that, that, that what you're listening to is coming from a person like you? Mm -hmm. and at least in theology, the inference is that God is, um, God is not evil, that God would deceive you like that. In philosophy, there is no, how do you know? So I don't see how philosophy can be the, can be the ground, uh, because if philosophy is the ground, then you can't even know that the world exists out there. How can you study the natural world if philosophy offers no actual proof that the natural world even, even exists? Right, yeah, I guess you could take philosophy as being sort of rooted in a sort of reliableist understanding of sort of common sense. And so that's the starting point. Right, right. You, you, you have to believe that reason is reliable. And um, in my view, I mean, in, that cannot be grounded in itself. It has to be grounded elsewhere. And obviously, the only other elsewhere on tap would be God. So, so I, I, theology, I think, really is the queen of the sciences. And, and, but, and frankly, all scientists practice it. I mean, every scientist is a theologian of sorts. At least implicitly, despite what they might say, right? Right, 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 right. Implicitly, I mean, obviously, very few of them are are the, are are the least bit aware of it, because scientists are are almost without exception the worst philosophers on earth. <laughs> uh, they're terrible philosophers, uh, and they, they do things all the all the time that, that they don't understand. Yeah, I'm very much a believer, and I guess this is just my Thomism coming through. That theology is is the queen of the sciences. It's it's the basis for all knowledge. Even when you deny God's existence, you're you're, you're making theological assumptions. Right, right. But self uh, self refutation is is basically the modus operandi of these people, anyway. So. <laughs> huh. Uh huh. Right. So uh, it has been a delight, Joshua. Thank you. I, I, and I, I would love to talk some more. I mean, we we could do some more podcasts. I appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, to our listeners, this is uh, Mike Egner from Mind Matters News interviewing Dr. Joshua Ferris. Thank you for listening. Good day. This has been Mind Matters News. Explore more at mindmatters.ai. That's mindmatters.ai. Mind Matters News is directed and edited by Austin Egbert. The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the speakers. 
Mind Matters News is produced and copyrighted by the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at Discovery Institute.